only source of true delight whom I unseen adore unveil thy beauties to my sight that I might love thee more oh that I might love thee more you're listening to the weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian the following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my bleeding dying. Good morning. Our text this morning uh, will be in Romans. Again, Romans chapter 13 this time. Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 14, found on page 948 in the Blue uh, Pew Bible. Again, that's Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 14. Verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has already blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, we come to this word that your spirit has inspired. It is, we are told, God breathed. We are told that you carry along the men that wrote this word so that it is none other than the very word of the living God. We thank you that you speak it to us in this day, today. And that, Lord, you use feeble, feeble means by which to do that. We pray that this text of Scripture could be opened up to all of our understanding, that we all will grow in your grace, and, Lord, that we will live differently, that your Word will have its transforming power in our lives as we hear once again the precious gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that you are here to work here to change for anyone who trusts you, anyone who gives himself up to your will, that, Lord, you are here to do good for your people. You're the one who died for us. You nourish and cherish your church. And so you will do even now by your sovereign grace. And nothing can stop the sovereign Lord from working in his people's hearts. We thank you, Lord. And it is for your glory that we pray. Amen. 
My wife was on Facebook last couple of weeks. There's a good friend of ours, a friend of ours and a member of the church where we were before. And she's just telling how her day went, you know, as people do on Facebook. And she said, I picked up Caleb from preschool. Caleb's three years old. Picked up Caleb from preschool and asked him, what did you do today? Did you play outside? And he said, yes, I play outside. I slide. I climb. I hit. I say sorry. (laughs) (laughs) You know, in the vernacular, it'd be like, yeah, mama, I I don't know. Same old, same old, you know, play, slide, climb, hit, say sorry. Nothing out of the ordinary, you know, basic day. Um, And I thought, what a description of our struggle to love every day. You know, this, this would be a great summary of, well, how did you do in love today? Well, you know, I... I slid, I climbed, I hit, I said sorry. You know. it, interesting that one of the aspects of this passage in verses 8 through 10 is love does no harm to a neighbor. Very interesting that it puts it in this frame because we all tend to think, well, I would never harm anyone. I wouldn't hurt someone. And yet that's the very thing that we do. That's why the law in Scripture is so devastating As Paul talked about it earlier in this same book, Romans 7, the law is holy and good and spiritual, but Paul says of himself and of us, but by nature, I'm of the flesh. And here's the problem. The law requires love. Real, heartfelt, sincere, self-sacrificing, joyful love. I'm nowhere close. That's the problem. When I, in my natural condition, meet the law, I'm devastated by it. It wipes me out. It puts me, as Paul describes it, on this treadmill of sin and death. He says, when the law comes along and says, you shall not covet, why, in the face of this good command, not to want everything for myself, I covet more. He says, this is Paul talking. By nature, that's, that's what I do. My encounter with that commandment, he says, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. He says, why does this happen? It shows just how bad sin is in our heart. <laughs> when the best, best things come to us in God's law, the command to love from the heart, which is that command not to covet, then... I really show my my true colors. The flesh just doesn't do so well spending itself for others. It's just not that much into that, right? We're into self-promotion and self-justification and and, and manipulation and uh, self-protection and using others for your own purposes, your own own advancement, your own importance to, to... only concerned about my needs, that kind of thing. That's, that's what we do by nature. But enter the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, which Romans is all about. 
And now history is different. The pivot point of history has been driven into the ground. Everything is different. The new world of the spirit has broken into the prison camp and we've been transformed and liberated. And now we're beginning to run free from our slavery to self. And we're beginning to walk in this word of love and find out what it means to love. Because we have experienced the love of God in Jesus Christ. So, uh, Romans is all about this. And that's why in this section, we're coming to the end of this chapter 12, chapter 13 section. It's all one unit here. He says in chapter 12, verse 1, that we're not to be according to this old age anymore. When it says world, it's ta- it uses the word age. Not a part of this world, this age in which we live, we're self-dominated. But we're to be transformed now. We can give our li- ourselves to God as new, living, raised from the dead people so that we are dedicated to His purposes and so that we begin to take on the very, uh, very character of Jesus Christ. And the main theme of this whole unit, which is the, the big application of all that Paul has said, is love, right? Chapter 12, verse 9, let love be sincere. And now he's bringing that to a little closure here. This sincere love is what he's been talking about all this time. And so he returns specifically to that topic. And so, as I've talked about sincere love, that's what you owe to everybody. Let everything be focused on this, this love that I've been talking about. So I'm going to break it down in a few things now so that you don't break into a sweat when we get toward the end. We're not going to deal with verses 11 through 14. I can see us, you know, coming to the end. is like, he hadn't even hit verse 11. Uh, so we're going to wait. Till, uh, actually, next week, Keith is going to be preaching. I'm going to be out of town next week. And uh, so we'll come back to this in two weeks. And Keith, thank you. We're looking, uh, everybody's looking forward to it, uh, <laughs> that you would be, be preaching. So in this section, though, verses 8 through 10, as we focus on love, uh, first we're going to ask the question, where? Where does this fit in kind of the teaching as a whole in Scripture? And most everybody points out that because the love, the the commandment in Leviticus 19.18, where he says that you should love your neighbor as yourself, uh, this was not really singled out in Jewish thinking before Christ as a special big law. Okay? It wasn't something that they pointed to, but this is what Jesus pointed to. This is what Jesus said. This is the whole commandment along with love the Lord your God with all your heart. This is where everything, in fact, he says all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Everything can be hung, strung up, and upheld. This is the structure of the whole Bible, basically. And so, it's almost certain that Paul is drawing from Jesus at this point, that Paul is depending on the Jesus tradition, the Jesus teaching uh, on this subject that was passed to him. Uh, he apparently didn't hear it himself, but he was, had access through others of this teaching, and he is reinforcing this teaching that Christ himself set forth so that Jesus and now Paul saying, here's the central aspect of the law. This is what the law is all about. 
And as I've said, this is resuming what he started in verse 9, and it's creating a little bracket for everything so that you'd say all the obligations of the new covenant, just like the Old Testament that Jesus said, all the obligations and the, the commands of the New Testament are bracketed by this thing and defined by this thing. Love. It's love. Okay? Now, that's a little bit of the where uh, that it sits within the context of Christ and the context of all the New Testament uh, teaching and Paul's teaching. But who is addressed particularly? That is, who do we love? Who is, who is Paul pointing us to? It says, oh, no one anything. And this, this, is, uh, this connects it to the section before because he's talked about owing to those uh, respect that is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. So he takes that idea of owing and he links it to the idea of loving. And in short, he means pay all your debts, but in, in the first part of verse 8, but he's really getting to this point, except here's a debt that you always owe. Okay, Don't owe anybody anything. Pay your debts on time, whatever the structure of your debt arrangement is, fine, do that. But here's something that you're always going to owe. And that is love. But he says here, the one who has... Uh, the, the question is, when he says, love one another, uh, does he mean in love one another just those who are believers? And usually when Paul says to love one another, then he is talking about Christians loving one another. But later in Thessalonians, for instance... He says twice, love one another and everybody else, or do good to one another and everybody else. So usually that just applies to one another. But in this section, uh, people are pretty much agreed that this especially include, or, or at least does include, it's not restricted to believers, it's, it's a, thing, a love commandment that goes to everyone. Because earlier in chapter 12 and verse 17, he's talked about uh, everybody, repay no one evil for evil. Uh, be living peaceably with everyone, verse 18. Don't be overcome by evil in any case, in verse 21 of chapter 12. And in this case, in this chapter itself, uh, he says, owe no one anything. And that's the indication that this applies across the boards and this word other that we're going to look at here, uh, the one who loves other, uh, loves the other, seems to include almost anybody that you meet, okay? So it's not restricted to believers. This, of course, is an emphasis on believers, but it includes everyone. And so it's, it includes your neighbor, whoever that neighbor is, as he gets to. So let's look a little further then at this, this who. Um, it's interesting that he uses this word other, the one who loves another or literally the one who loves the other. It's that word that we get, say, heterosexual, heteros, okay, the other one. And it means this, who, whoever at the particular moment confronts you as your neighbor, okay. Now, this guards us from this idea of saying, well, look, I love everybody. There's nobody I don't love. Yeah, well, except for those closest to you, probably, you know, that you yelled at yesterday or that you ignored the other day, whatever. It's easy for us to say in a general way, well, no, I love everybody. There's nobody I don't love. 
But when he says to love the other, the idea is the one who God has put before you that claims your service, that you owe the people that you come into contact with this love that God has given you uh, and, and commands of you. So that we don't say, hey, I've loved another or I've loved someone. That's not the point. Don't worry. I have loved some people in my life. Okay? No. It's love the other. And the idea also there is that there could be somebody very different from you that you're going to be called to love. But the point is the very people God brings into your life, that, is, that constitutes the call for you to love that person, whoever it is, the other that you come into contact with, the others that God has brought into your life. And in that sense, a neighbor is not someone arbitrarily chosen by you, although you may choose to initiate something in a person's life that hardly even knows you. But it also refers to those that are given to us by God in His providence. And boy, that becomes across the board, doesn't it? Especially if you're going to be close as a church, because there are a lot of people here that you really like to be with. And then there's some people here that you don't really like to be with that much. They're very different from you in many different ways. And so our call is not like those who like you, like those who are like you. You love the other. Loving each person that God presents to you as your neighbor in the circumstances uh, that this person is someone that's in a position, that you're in a position to affect good or ill in their life. So God puts you in a position to affect good or bad in this person's life. And just in the same way, when he uses the word neighbor, that's not everyone, is it? It's your neighbor. It's specific people in your life. The people encountered in the daily course of your life that lay claim to your resources. Because here's the idea. You owe this love. And so for every person, there's an, in a sense, God says, okay, you've got resources, you've got time, you've got affection, you've got concern. You owe this to this person that you're talking to right now. Now, it takes all kind of different shapes in the workplace, in the neighborhood, in the church, in your family. But the the commitment or the demand to owe this to every person is there constantly. And so the other is specific individuals that you come into contact with rather than I just love everybody, but nobody in particular. So every day we have this opportunity to give this love that we owe to everyone that we come into contact. Uh, That's why in terms of debt, this this debt never comes to an end. Origen, an early writer, says, we should pay this debt daily and always owe it so that we owe love to everyone. We say sometimes in a negative way to say, hey, I owe you one, right? Or we say positively to somebody, you know, like they've done something for us, hey, man, I owe you. I really owe you. But this is a response to the grace of God, the love that we've received in Christ that makes us overflow with the joyful giving of that love. We owe it to everyone. 
We owe it to every person. We owe it fully and completely and constantly, deserving or undeserving, even to the most difficult and unlovable. We owe this debt of love that flows from the love with which God has loved us and He's reconciled us as His, uh, as we were enemies. See, that's the love that the more we meditate on it, the more we experience it and are amazed at it. He loved me while I was an enemy. Then we begin to pour that love out to others. One wrote this, love is an inexhaustible debt because it's one created directly by the infinite love which believers have themselves received from God in Christ. This inexhaustible love. That's why Paul says, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you will know the height and depth and length of the love of Christ. Okay? Just keep exploring and exploring the greatness of this love. And then he says, and be filled up to all the fullness of God. Ephesians 3.19. And the idea of being filled up to all the fullness of God, of course, is that I'm pouring myself out in my fullness, in my enrichment. It, It causes a debt that I pour out to others. And it's not an onerous debt like, oh, God, I owe some more taxes, you know. We talked about even that last week, that maybe that shouldn't be our complete attitude because God is provident over that. But, but still, this, always at the core of this, is a joy. It pours forth as a joyful obligation. In fact, we see people as the opportunity to spend the joy that we have in Christ. The opportunity to give ourselves away. Now, that may sound impossible, but what I'm saying is that is what God will and can do in our lives. That's how he saves us more and more. And of course, we feel very often that is not the way it's working in my life, even with those closest to me. But this is the salvation that God brings about in our life, that we can love and have this kind of sense of joyful debt toward every person. So it's really, it's really helpful because this, this has the idea of a single vision lifestyle, doesn't it? Don't owe anything, but always owe this one thing. And so it causes us to ask, what do I owe? What do I owe to children who are starving in the world? What do I owe to them? Do I have any obligation, any concern? Is, is there something about my lifestyle that could change so that I have some ministry in that regard to save people who are dying in the world? Do I owe some love in that regard? What love do I owe? For instance, we have World Relief has a station in Fort Worth, and they don't have that many in uh, America, but they have a station here in Fort Worth. Refugees come, many of them from refugee camps, where they've lived up to 5, 10, 15 years. And now they finally have an opportunity to get out of that refugee camp, to come to America. We're in the city where they come. What's, what's our obligation? You know, We need to think about that not as a, again, not as an onerous thing. Oh, no, another thing for me to do. But by God's grace, another opportunity to do for others what God has done for me in Christ to show the joy that I have in Him. And of course, each of us must ask, what love do I owe my husband, my wife, my own brother or sister, kids? What love do you owe your brother? What love do you owe your sister? Imagine getting up in the morning as a brother or sister and thinking, 
Oh, Lord, show me how I can love my brother or my sister today. Usually, sadly, you know, kids are thinking, Lord, help me not to kill him today, maybe. (laughs) Which is a good starting prayer. Uh, Help me to get more than he does or she does today. But to think, how can I love my brother or sister? How can I love my parents, etc.? Charles Cranfield simply says it this this way, this love is owed to every person without exception. May God give this to us. May God cause this to mark our lives. And he says here, your neighbor as yourself, and just to explore this a, a little bit, it doesn't mean that you better work on loving yourself for a long time and then if you ever do get to love yourself, then love others like you love yourself. But it assumes that you do love yourself. <clears throat> like Paul says in Ephesians 5 when he's talking about men loving their wives and he's talking about how your wife has become a part of you and you're one. She's your flesh, you're one flesh. And then he draws the conclusion, nobody ever hated their own flesh. That's just a given. Nobody ever ever hated their own flesh, but they nourish it and they cherish it. And so she's your flesh. Nourish her and cherish her like Christ does the church because the church is one with Christ. So even you've heard this before that Pascal himself wrote that even if a man commits suicide, he's pursuing happiness. He's pursuing his own well-being because he thinks he's going to be happier if he does this. He's still out for, you know, satisfaction and self in this. So, this love that is real and sincere for ourselves, uh, the, the commandment is love others like you have this real, sincere love of yourself, of which love there is no doubt. <laughs> you have this love. Love others in that way. But this calls you to actually enter into another person's thinking, what would I desire in this situation? What would I be thinking in this situation? What would I be fearing in this situation? How would it feel to be under this pressure? What would that be like? There's the idea of of fellowship with one another. Like earlier in chapter 12, he says, Rejoice with those that rejoice and weep with those that weep. And even when he talked about giving uh, and contributing to the needs of the flesh, the idea is koinonia, a sharing sharing yourself, sharing in their suffering so that we enter into it. And that's the idea here. Not just what should I do, what's the right thing to say in this situation or the right thing to do, which is good, but also to ask, how would I want to be treated? Love your neighbor as yourself to enter into their lives. So this is some of what the who is here. This Love of the other one that is before me, the neighbor, and entering into their situation. And, of course, this is not only believers, but it's all people. Of course, it must start with believers, and that's the emphasis here. But then the question is not only who, but what is this commandment? What is this love? Uh, First, we'll see it's it's a fulfillment of the law. This is emphasized so much in this passage. So we don't need to run past this without thinking, wow, Paul makes a big deal out of this being the fulfillment of the law. He begins that way, doesn't he, in verse 8. In fact, he gives this as the reason why you should love in this way. 
and this this should settle it, so to speak. You know, this this should uh, it's the linchpin that secures the argument. Love one another because if you do that, you fulfill the law. He ends this this little section that way in verse ten. It does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, it's the fulfilling of the law. And then he says in verse nine, they are all summed up, all the commandments in this one word: you shall love. So, boy, it is tightly drawn that the law will be lived out in love. And therefore, it's a good thing to fulfill the law. Sometimes in the Christian life, you hear that the law's done away with. We aren't concerned about the law. In fact, some people will say, and I've read some, a few commentators, not many, but a few that almost come to the point of saying, love has replaced the law. Which is very odd because the very commandment of love is found in the law. So you're taking one commandment of the law and say, well, this cancels the whole rest of the law. Well, Jesus didn't say that. He said, this is the strongest or the essence. It's the structure of the whole law is love. It's what all the law has to do with is love. And so here Paul gives this as the reason uh, so that we would see... uh, you, you, he assumes you want to fulfill the law. He assumes the law is good and spiritual. And so you can be so thrilled and happy that as you walk in love, you're fulfilling this law. You're walking in the whole essence of the word. Jesus said the very same thing. <clears throat> and when he said all the law and prophets hang on these two, these are the iron stakes, right? Driven up into the oak and the law and the prophets hang on these. They find their ultimate meaning and fulfillment in love. If love to God and love to others falls down, everything falls down. No commandment means anything apart from it is a function of love, a part of love. So he's able to say in verse 9, all the commandments, not only these four quick ones he mentions, but any other commandment, are drawn together under this single statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, obviously, he's talking about the, that part of the law that re- regards neighbor, not the part that regards God himself. But that's, of course, understood. He's concentrating on our horizontal relationships right here. So uh, he, he begins and ends, uh, interestingly, with love. If you saw the structure in the Greek, it even reinforces this, you know, as though, you know, love is just blazing like that in, in the passage. So it is the greatest, most central, important thing because it's the fulfillment of the law. And therefore, this is the way we obey the law. The, the love is the action that the law requires of us. And so all the various commands of the law are simply expressions of love. If we focus on the commandments, like the Pharisees had begun to focus on the commandments and they treated them in a brittle way, they treated them in a way in which they promoted their own self-righteousness. They even called themselves law keepers, but Jesus said, you've lost mercy. You need to go back and see what it means when it says, I love mercy rather than sacrifice. Lost the whole heart of what it was all about. It's not a group of, of commands that you try to 
put yourself on a pedestal because you've obeyed these and then look down the nose at other people who haven't obeyed them and make yourself feel better that way. That has nothing to do with love. But love, of course, involves the affections of the heart, not just outward actions. Here's another aspect of it. It's not just going through the motions. A true understanding of the law means that we're not just outwardly doing things while we house a whole inside that is bitterly opposed to people, that is depressed because I don't have what other people have, that is constantly embittered or jealous or envious. But, oh, I do all the right things. I'm, I'm following the law. I'm following the rules. I go to church. I read my Bible, etc. But this, this is a, a realization that it has to do with the heart. It has to do with the affections. And that this is what the law requires. We tend to think the law was only external. No, the law sought for this heart obedience. I think this is why Jesus in Matthew 5 when he's talking about obedience and righteousness, he says, your righteousness has to exceed that of the Pharisees. And at first glance, you look, well, wait, they have hundreds of laws and now I've got to have thousands of laws. Is that what you're saying, Jesus? I've got to have more laws than the Pharisees. He said, no, they don't really have heart obedience. They don't know what it is to experience God's love. And then in that love to pour themselves out for others. That's what's needed is a heart Obedience, a heart love. At the same time, we must guard against, on the other hand, that we say, it's only love now, we don't need the specific commandments. So, a guy can come home to his wife and say, honey, um, I'm leaving, but it's all because of love. It's all because of love. I'm following love. In fact, it's not the commandments anymore, it's not adultery and all that. I just love this other person, and I'm sorry I don't love you. I'm living by love. Yeah. Now, I've heard that before. I really have heard that. Uh, couldn't be a greater abuse. But see, the commands are steering us clear of subjectivism, where we just, on our own, want to define what love is so that it becomes a function of my selfish desire. My desire to abuse someone or misuse something, and I want to be able to put the word love over that, even though it flies directly in the face of what God specifically says. So see, the two are wonderfully intertwined. That the law tells us what love, where love should run, and love tells us what the heart of obeying the law should be. We're told in 1 Corinthians 13 that love rejoices in the truth, okay? It's so easy to say, well, I just love everybody and I don't care if they preach the truth or not. I just love everybody. No, love loves the truth. It adores the truth. It follows the truth. It gives itself to the truth. That's the way love works. Love walks along the lines of the law. And part of what Paul is doing here is defending uh, probably the attack that because he spoke so much about love that, it, that he was denying the law. And he says, I'm not denying the law. This is the way to really get at the law, just as Jesus said. You want to fulfill the law? Walk in love. Live it out from the heart. <clears throat> and so it keeps us love from in, in understanding the particular commandments in kind of a, a rigid way, a, a loveless way, uh, but we also 
are to be saved from resting in some kind of vague content and many times a hypocrisy in which we're making up the word on our own. So let's say this, the structure of the law is love. Love constructs the commandments. The commandments stand by love and love only. All the commandments are functions of the law, of of love. They're expressions of love. They're the way love acts and moves and thinks and feels. They're the many pathways that love runs. They're the mountains it climbs, the waters it crosses, the forests it explores. So the commandments are love on the move. Love doing, love avoiding, love refraining, love disciplining itself, love bending itself and molding itself and shaping itself and building itself. So let's bring them together, you know, and always see the commands is another way that God defines for me where my passion for God can flow toward others to help me understand the very structure of what I'm to do and how I'm to give myself away from others. So it is the fulfillment of the law. That's one what of the law. We've seen who it applies to, and the what is it's the fulfillment of the law. Here's another what, more briefly. It's negative as well as positive. Uh, That's very obvious as he says, you shall not murder, not steal, not covet, not commit adultery. That's the order, by the way, in the Greek translation, the old Greek translation of the, of the Hebrew, um, of adultery and then murder and, and stealing and coveting. And he even says that love doing no wrong to a neighbor is the fulfilling of the law. So that the, the law is oriented toward this specific thing to keep us from hurting one another. That's what you have to do as sinners. <laughs> To keep us from hurting one another. To keep us from harm. And of course, the problem with our hearts is when we hear that we must not harm one another, like in not coveting, Paul says, we makes us want to harm people more. As though we say, don't harm, I'll show you don't harm. So here's the law's way, negatively to restrain harmful action. And remember, 1 Corinthians 13 is like this as well. The love chapter. It says, love does not envy. Love does not boast. Love is not arrogant. Love is not rude. It does not insist on its way. It is not irritable. It is not resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. Wow. So that's so helpful to us, though. All the things in Scripture that... We're to put off, and they're defined very carefully for us. Don't do these. Do these. This explains and defines for us. And we see in these things that are explained, wait a minute, I do this and this. Oh, oh. And then you connect the dots and you realize that's the extent to which I'm not walking in love. I'm hating. I'm despising. I'm ignoring. I'm neglecting. I'm not loving people when I do these things. And so the negatives are very important, always necessary as a touchstone of love. Because so many times we can be in praise of love as a theory, you know, as an idea. And people are like, yeah, but I know how he talked to me the other day. Oh, we can go on and on about love. But then we have a terrible uh, tone in our voice when we talk to even those that we love. 
And Chrysostom early on in the early centuries said this, This I grieve that living among brethren, we need to be on our guard against injury. And I bet many of you could say, Amen to that. Amen to that. That I have, when I've been among Christians, in fact, I've been hurt so badly among people who profess Christ that I'm on guard so that I don't get hurt again. That's a sad thing, isn't it? How much we need these negative commandments, don't we? To guard from hurting one another. Chrysostom says, For this reason one may find many who trust pagans sooner than Christians. <laughs> say, well, yeah, I've, I've tried a... God says, I, I, I've tried a Christian plumber. I'm never going to do that again. Sad testimony. But this guy may talk about love. He may talk about it in theory. But what are we doing? Uh, how are we wronging others? So real through and through love will ultimately do no love, no wrong to anyone, no harm. And that's another way to think of your, your day. And this may sound negative, but like, don't hurt anybody today, Darwin. Don't hurt your wife. Don't hurt her by neglecting her. Don't hurt her by not planning for the weekend for y'all to do something. Don't hurt her by a snippy attitude or a voice, a tone in your voice that hurts her feelings. Not that I've ever done any of those. I'm just imagining. You know, I've heard other people say those things. But see, that's how I have to think about this. And I, I'm, I'm thinking about it. How have I harmed? And, and, and it hurts to think, I'm harming Kay. I mean, I'm harming her. So let's think. Love doesn't harm. It doesn't hurt one another. Again, the hard thing about love, about, about sin, is it has to do with love, right? It has to do with love. Well, let me just mention briefly, maybe as a final word, the how of all this, the how... This idea of debt, as I've already expressed, is a responsive obligation. It, it, obviously, if it's something I owe, I'm responding to something that has been done for me. I'm responding to the love of God in Christ. Even as Jesus said about the woman who was washing his feet, she was forgiven much, therefore she loved much. That's a great question to ask ourselves. Do I see myself as forgiven of much? It not only means that I understand my sin against God, but it also means I understand His forgiveness deeply and it really affects me and amazes me that He would forgive me. It's not just that you realize how much you sin. A lot of us think, yeah, I'm really a crummy person. But, but coupled with that, do you experience, but I'm loved so deeply by God. That's what transforms you. That's what makes you in a person that wants to wash people's feet. You know. And what's so encouraging too, I think, is not to think that God says to us, okay, I've loved you, now go in love and report back to me. No. Let me tell me how you did. You're probably not going to do so good because you can't return all the love that I've given to you. And we, we can even feel under the burden about that. You know, like, gosh, he's given me so much and I'm not giving much in return. And we feel, you know, guilty about that. 
But think of it this way, that God is with me to love others. He upholds me and sustains me. He attends me. He has fellowship with me as I struggle to love others. See, He loves me in the midst of it. He loves me in Christ and sustains and works in me so that He embraces me as I am seeking and struggling sometimes to embrace others. So it's a response to His love. And that's why, again, maybe memorize, maybe pray through Ephesians, the last part of Ephesians 3, where Paul says, I pray that the Spirit will so work in you that you understand the love of God in Christ. Just what he prays, so that we will know that love. And wonderfully in the new covenant, if he says, I'm going to put my law within you, I'm going to cause you to walk in my statutes, and if we understand that the essence of those statutes is love, and that Christ says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another, God is here to, and he promises to make us a people of love. It is a vital part of the new covenant. He will make us into His image. So as we respond, we are trusting Him. We're believing Him to have this mighty work in our lives. He promises that He will make us into the image of Christ. He says that He will cause us to walk in this law of love. And He gives us the Spirit. It's said that in Galatians 5, as you know, that, the, that love is the fruit of this powerful Spirit working within us. So we believe and trust. It's a response. It's faith in His promise. And then it finally is simply looking to Jesus Christ who tells you, tells us, a new commandment I give you. It's like my life and death, in a sense, is the commandment. He takes the law of God and He says, this is how you do it. You want to see the love worked itself, uh, the law worked itself out in all of its beauty and magnificence. Here it is in my life. This is what I'm talking about. Follow this. Live this out. Know what this is. Trust in it. Rejoice in it. Be in awe of it. Live it. Breathe it. Fight for it. Run after it. Be satisfied in this love and nothing else but this love. This is your life. This is your new meaning. This is your definition because you belong to me. How glorious. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus and trust Him that He will make you into His image. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we thank You for the mighty work of Christ which constitutes us a new people, a new people set free from self and set free for Christ and for others. We thank You that You cause us to walk in Your Word when we absolutely could not, would not, but you have laid hold of us. We will bear your image. We will more and more show forth the very love that has been given to us in Christ. We rest in you and we ask you, Lord, forgive us. Oh, forgive us. Hold us up, Lord. Take away our sin in Christ. Clothe us in his righteousness. Oh, Lord, uphold us and continue to work in us that which is pleasing in your sight.
For Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The pleasing scene is clouded or with pain. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. Jesus, my Lord, my life, my light, oh, come with blissful rain, break radiant through the shades of night and chase my fears away. Won't you chase my fears away?